Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Very excited here on episode number 47. Uh, this is basically Creighton Assistant Coach Week. Uh, earlier this week, I had Carly Tritzberger on from the women's side, and today we have Steve Murfeld, the associate head coach. What is your official title, Steve? <laughs> I wear a lot of caps. Uh, it's... Uh... Director of Player Development, assistant to the head coach, um, you name it, really. I mean, that that's, you get to be this old, you get to all kinds of different titles. You're, you're not like uh, George Costanza, assistant to the traveling secretary or something like that? <laughs> Sometimes I wish I were. <laughs> well, just don't change their uniforms to wool and we'll be okay, so... Yeah. Uh, but before we get to start, of course, we want to give credit to our to our sponsor, Cossack Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Cossack Chiropractic. You can look them up on the interwebs at CossackChiro.com or give them a call at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes, so download, rate, and review. Give us five stars so that we can get the word out to get this information out to as many coaches as we can. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Steve Murfeld, the jack-of-all-trades, master of none at Creighton University for the men's basketball program, uh, including getting ready to go on vacation here um, pretty soon, or tomorrow, right? Well, yeah, I guess official vacation. Obviously, with the COVID, we've been on vacation for, what, five months now? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, this, this working from home is what it is. I'm tired of it. I need to be around people and uh, anxious to, to actually take the family on a vacation and then get back to work once we get back. Um, describe uh, kind of what you guys have not been able to do i mean i know we kind of talked about it a couple of weeks ago but just from from the outside looking in what you know how has your day-to-day job changed very drastically yeah it's uh you know obviously i mean everybody's doing the zoom thing now and and that's been very helpful i guess in this time when we have to have something like that but i'm a person that needs to be around people and and you know, face to face, talk through things. You know, and I'm not a I'm not a Twitter guy. I, I do text and I do email, obviously. But um, you know, anxious to, to get back to some form of normalcy as as Creighton University is going to try to do uh, with school starting on August 17th. But getting back to your question, uh, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of um, you know, self reflection, self evaluation of the team, uh, those kind of things that normally go on you know during the months of may june and july mm-hmm. uh, nothing nothing has really changed in that regard for me just just a different di- different way of going about it different way to skin the cat no question yeah a lot, a lot of uh you know and when you have office space a lot of times you can just run down the the guy who's in charge of a certain area and get a quick answer well now you know everything's back to, to phone calling or or zoom meetings uh to get things done so just a, uh, not as efficient as you probably would like to be, but you know, for college basketball coaches, uh, I guess this is a time of the year where it is a little slower, mm-hmm. and uh, things can get done in, in the manner that we're operating in right now. What uh, and, and again, we 
you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen two weeks from now, let alone three, four months from now. What, what do you kind of see happening with your, with your season? A, a best guess of what's going to happen with college basketball this season. You know, it's interesting, uh, your point of two weeks, we'll know more. We've been saying that for what, <laughs> five months. You know, yeah. It was always, well, in two weeks, we'll know a whole lot more. And then two weeks come and pass. And then in two more weeks, we'll know a whole lot more. Well, we're still at that point of two weeks. We hope to know, know more. Um, you know, with the college basketball season, uh, you know, obviously we're still waiting on decisions on the fall sport. Uh, before the NCAA is going to turn to to the basketball seasons, but yeah. I, I think we will have a season. I, I don't know uh, exactly when it'll start. I mean, there's a lot of talk of you know pushing back to, to January, playing the conference only schedule. Uh, but there's so much time yet that uh, needs to take place before those tough decisions are made. So mm-hmm. I do know that the athletes want to get back to to playing. Uh, whether it be in a bubble, uh, whether it be with people in the stands, uh, you know, they were specifically in our situation were stripped of a uh, conference tournament as well as a uh, uh, NCAA tournament bid. Uh, so we're anxious to, to get back together and, and uh, you know, build on last year's success. Yeah. You know, speaking of, of last year, I wanted to ask you about it, and, and we haven't, you know, you and I personally haven't had a chance to, to talk about it or whatever. Um, you guys were in the unique situation where your season ended literally at halftime of a game, uh, at, at halftime of the Big East tournament. Um, what what all happened uh, behind the scenes there in that 10, 15, 20 minutes, half hour or so? Yeah, it, it was... Uh certainly a strange um, 24, 48 hours, whatever it was, where, uh, you know, the, the, the night before, we decided that only, you know, 200 people, I think, from each school were going to be allowed to attend the game. And the night before in the play-in games, you know, it was fully, fully attended and, and good crowds. And um, just a leery feeling playing in Madison Square Garden with no environment uh, mm-hmm. whatsoever. And then, you know, as you mentioned, to have the game called at halftime. Um, and I think basically uh, the Big East Conference was relying on New York City um, guidance and, and what they were going to do before they made their decision. And that decision happened to come, at, uh, I guess, right before halftime of the Big East tournament, which basically made the Big East decision very easy. Uh, we got to shut this down and get you people out of here uh, as quickly as we can. So certainly a strange ending to a season. And then, you know, right after the NCAA, uh, you know, cuts out March Madness as well. So uh, it's been, it's been a tough time since then because we haven't seen our guys since, you know, whatever that date was that that they were sent home. Uh Uh, A lot of communication through phone calls and text messages and Zooms and, you know, trying to, to stay as positive as we can and, and uh, certainly coaching them through uh, this time the best that we can, although we've never been through anything like this as well. So just kind of a collaborative effort um, to try to stay positive with everybody and, and, and move forward. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into to some hardcore hoops here, Coach, if you don't mind. Um, you know, I didn't realize until I did a little uh, – you know, background information searching here on you. 
Uh, I didn't realize that you had been an assistant for an extended period of time for Jim Laranega uh, when he was at Bowling. Was it Bowling Green, correct? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Correct. Yep. Uh, a, a terrific coach, perhaps on the national scale, uh, underrated in a lot of ways uh, for his accomplishments and his, and his uh, the stuff that he's done in his career. What were uh, some things as a young coach that you took from Jim Laranega that, that helped you uh, make the, the leap eventually to a Division One head coach and that's kind of stuck with you uh, all these years later? Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, I was very young at the time. I uh, had coached high school for two years right out of college and, um, you know, really knew nothing about the, the uh, college game and, and basically just dove in because I wanted to get a master's degree and, and Jim Laranaga gave me a graduate assistant position and, and just fell in love uh, with the college game and uh, you know the fact of being able to do basketball 24-7 uh, was what I always I guess dreamed of and, and you know I've been very very fortunate because I didn't play college basketball uh, you know to have made this a profession uh, but getting back to, to Jim Laranaga the, the, obviously when you work for somebody uh, like that and it's your first job and I spent 10 years with them uh, those were the formative years of, of who I am and, and what I believe in and uh, still to this day do some of the same drills uh, you know that we did back in 1986 uh, when I first got into college coaching so uh, yeah Jim was a, a great teacher um, very uh, you know he's one of those guys that, that if you really dug into it he's had a lot of assistant coaches that have moved on to head coaching positions and, and part of that is uh, he's very good at, at you know working with guys and, and helping them overcome their weaknesses and then promoting them uh, to uh, positions or head coaching positions to, to be successful so yeah I'm very thankful uh, to him uh, do keep in touch with him uh, not like I used to but uh, you know we're both kind of in our own little worlds and uh, probably two or three times a year uh, get back in touch and talk basketball and he hasn't changed you know he, he's been very successful uh, but at the same time very humble and, and uh, down to earth and, and fundamentals will always be a big part of, of what he teaches and what he believes in mm-hmm. you've been with coach Mack for is this like year 10 11 12 I know it's in double digits isn't it it's starting number 11, which is the longest. I, I just mentioned I was with Jim Laranega for 10 years, um, and then this will be the longest tenure, uh, as already is, because it's uh, started on uh, year 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem like that uh, at all. Uh, obviously, we've had some great success here, and that's probably why it doesn't seem like it's been you know, a full 10 seasons already. Uh, but, yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience, and... and uh, you know, Omaha has been great. This is where both of my children would probably call home uh, uh-huh. eventually when they have moved on from here. Yeah. You know, you know, I know you guys, and I see the cohesion that you have as a staff. You know, what, what are the things that, that Coach McDermott does at the top of the, the staff, at the top of the pyramid, that, that creates that... Uh, family type atmosphere, you know, for, for those head coaches that are listening that, you know, want to create that same type of culture, 
within the coaching staff that you guys have, because I know you guys are really, really close as a group all together. Uh, what's that, what's that, you know, how does he build that? I think, you know, more than anything, and I think this carries over to our players as well, is there's, there's a lot of trust and a lot of freedom uh, to do your job. Uh, you know, you're given certain tasks to do, and there's not somebody constantly looking over you or, or questioning, you know, what, why you did it this way or that way. It's, it's you know, the freedom to, to go about uh, the job the way that you think it should be done and, and the trust uh, that he has in uh, his people to do that. And, you know, as I mentioned, I think that really carries over to, to the way that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll take some bad shots every once in a while, but guys know that if they take a bad shot or if a coach does make a mistake that, you know, that Mac, Coach Mac wouldn't have done it this way, uh, you're not going to get yanked out of the game. Or you're not going to, you know, there's, there's a process to grow, um, you know, from your mistakes and, and move forward. And I think just that, that ability to trust his employees, uh, to trust his team members, uh, has, has really uh, allowed us as staff members to, to be confident in what we do. And I know for our players to be confident in, uh, when they step on the floor and, and know that, uh, you know, they're, they're free to make some mistakes and uh, free to take a bad shot here or there. And, you know, the good news in that regard is, We've had a lot of guys that take some bad shots, but they make bad shots. We've had some really, really good shot makers. Uh, and I think that that's the carryover, and I think it really, you know, it's not only the staff, but also down to, to each individual player. What are what are some ways that, you know, Coach Mack delegates authority with you guys, and, and, and how does is – it, is it pretty formal? Uh, does he have the flow chart out? I mean, you as the assistant to the traveling secretary have a hand in everything, it sounds like. But, uh, you know, how, how do you guys, does he go, hey, Steve, uh, you know, I want you to uh, to do this and this and this. Or does he go, hey, you know, Steve, I, I know you're really good at this. Or what do you feel comfortable with? I mean, how do you guys communicate those responsibilities? There definitely is a flow chart. You know, there, uh-huh. you know, everyone's responsible uh, for different things, but there's also an overlap uh, within every area. And, and you know, as I mentioned about Jim Laranega allowing you know people to do their jobs and and, and moving forward, uh, Matt, we have that overlap uh, for our guys so that they are involved in, in all aspects, you know, of the program. You know, a good example is, is Paul Lusk coming in as a head coach from. Uh, Missouri State, and, mm-hmm. and he is our defensive coordinator, uh, but he also does all of our individual workouts and, and you know, is involved in, in what we do offensively. And, and the same thing with Al Huss. Uh, you know, he's our offensive coordinator, but he's also involved in our defensive game plan and, and just allowing uh, everybody's input. Uh, obviously, you know, there has to be a, a decision made, and, and that's up to the head coach to make that decision, but you know we, we'll we'll disagree on things for sure, mm-hmm. um, and and you know there there will be some heated times within uh, the war room, so to speak. But uh, when we leave that room, uh, we're unified and, and have come up with um, you know whatever the plan is, and that's what we're going to do. When when you guys have those discussions, you know, and again, I'm just trying to help coaches with delegation of authority and. 
at how they do things within their staff. Uh, does, you know, let's say there's a disagreement between you and, and Paul uh, or whatever, not a disagreement, but a discussion. You know, does he kind of let you guys kind of hash it out and then let you guys talk and, and absorb all the information and then kind of put his two cents worth in? Or how do those situations usually work out? Yeah, I think it's, you know everyone's allowed to, to voice their their thoughts, um, and as long as you have good reason behind your thoughts, and, and as you know, and all, most of your listeners that are coaches know, there, there's not a, a right or wrong way to do anything yep. uh, within the game of basketball. It, it's it comes down to uh, making a decision and, and making that decision work, and, and a lot of times it's in the presentation that is given to the players and then it's given you know not only that but but asking for the players input in um, you know how do you want to guard this situation because if they're bought they have input just like assistant coaches have input into, into game plans they're likely to be more involved and, and more likely to to make whatever that situation work uh, so so yeah there's there's you know you said disagreements yes yeah, certainly there are uh, but at the same time uh, there's a, a mutual respect for everyone's uh, opinion and everyone's decision and, and like I said the, there is no right or wrong mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a million ways to to defend the ball screen so to speak and, and uh, you know sometimes we change right in the middle of a game uh, and go back say <laughs> we, we chose to defend it the way that Al Huss suggested and it wasn't working so then we'll try the way that Paul suggested and, and just go right on down the line until uh, we find the right answer and, and you know like I said a lot of times there is no right answer so to speak as mm-hmm. much as uh, just coming up with a plan that, that the players are going to buy into. I was really impressed I don't know if you remember the right before quarantine hit um, I went down and watched you guys practice and Coach Mack was really gracious to allow me to come in while you guys went over your scouting report against I think it was DePaul the next day and and I was just really amazed how you guys were able to in about 15 to 17 minutes you went through video clips and your entire scouting report of of DePaul and then uh, but you were able to narrow all this information down so efficiently that your and your guys were so engaged with that uh, I think it takes a lot of really smart guys to take that much information to condense it and simplify it for your for your kids i thought you guys did a terrific job with that and i and i was i learned a lot in that 15 20 minutes on just how to present things and different ideas and i i just thought you guys were i mean there's a reason why you guys are doing what you're doing and that's a big reason why well that's a great point marty in that you know uh there's there's so many guys um you know, they probably didn't even speak in that session because you, you want there to be a, one or two voices uh, that are being heard. But at the same time, there, there was a collaborative effort to get everybody's input into that game plan. And, you know, it may have seemed a lot to, a, to an outsider coming in, mm-hmm. but basically, you know, we have a, a uh, template, you know, for our offensive and defensive game plan that will tweak from game to game uh, so it doesn't change a whole lot um, because that's what we believe in and that, that's who we are uh, but with that being said you know there's there's a ton of people but you know underneath that did a lot of work that, that 
you know, preparing the film, Casey Matthews, John McHugh, um, uh, Ty Nurse, you know, these guys that, that don't get a lot of credit are guys that are doing all that legwork and, and preparing so that that meeting can be efficient and, and can go smoothly in that 15 minutes. Because as you know, um, you know, you get any more than 15, 20 minutes with a group of young men, their concentration level is gone. You lost them. So yep. We try to keep it, you know, as, as, as to 15, 20 minutes as close as we can. Sometimes it gets a little longer. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're certainly cognizant of um, their attention level and, and how long we can keep their concentration at a level that, that is going to help us win. Yeah. And, and one thing, and this is for the, you know, the coaches listening, uh, it, it, was, it was Coach Lusk's and Coach Huss's meeting. And I don't think you said anything. I don't think Vanderloo said anything. And Coach Mack said very little. And, and he let them roll with it. And I, and I you know, for, you know, he, he, I saw that delegation of authority and not that, not that trust within his staff to, to get the guys ready to play in action. And, and I, I thought that was really impressive as well. So Yeah, yeah, and all that, you know, that, that presentation and all that, and, and that's the way that we do things. You know, obviously the coaches had met for hours upon hours sure. to that, to, mm-hmm. to come up with that presentation and, and condense it in a, in a period of, you know, that people don't realize how difficult it is really to be a Division One athlete. I mean, these guys are coming from, you know, probably two or three classes, and then they got to get their weights in, and they got to get their study times in, and they're coming to practice, uh, and they're with us for you know two hours, um, and so we've got to be organized, and we've got to you know have a, a concentrated effort in terms of what we want to deliver for that. You know, even during the season, I mean, we're if we're on the floor for seventy-five minutes. That's probably a pretty long practice. Yeah. So uh, we always take that into account. You know, our, our uh, new strength coach, Jeremy Anderson, has been really good about, guys, you, you know, you're only going to be able to go for 30 minutes today, you know, physical activity. You can sit in the uh, uh, film room for a half hour or whatever, but when it gets down on the court and these guys are drained, they've been through, a you know, a two- or three-game tough stretch, you know, condense everything and get it done in 45 minutes. And, mm-hmm. and Matt is unbelievable in that regard, listening to Jeremy and, and uh, getting his input on, on how much we can do. Is, is that perhaps the biggest change that you've seen from the start of your career to the beginning of your career, or to, to, the, to, to this point of your career, uh, what we now call load management? Um, and just, you know, you'd get off, you know, you, you play a game on a Wednesday night and kind of come hell or high water, if it's the middle of January, you're still probably going you know, hour 45, two minutes on a Thursday back in the late 80s, whereas today you take all of these other factors into uh, the decision-making process of what you're going to do. That's that's kind of the one of the biggest changes I've seen. Yeah, I, I would agree uh, 100% that uh, that has become, you know, much more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, more important, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think we have to get back out there and, and do more, and, and oftentimes it's doing less that's the most beneficial uh, to your team. And I know that our guys have appreciated that. They they have input. Um, and, and also, as I mentioned, Jeremy and, of course, our trainer, Ben McNair, um, you know, he meets with Mac every morning. Uh, these guys are beat up. This guy can only do this. That guy should be, you know, back to 100%. I mean, they have those meetings every morning uh, before a practice plan is even put together. So. Uh-huh. 
there's a lot that goes into it. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, fortunately, um, you know, we are a pretty unified group that, that understands each other and, and enjoys coming to work every day. You guys, you guys, especially at the Division One level, are a pretty undersized team. I mean, a lot of times last year, you were essentially playing five guards for long stretches of time. And I remember when Epperson was hurt and, th- and there were a lot of concerns from the outside that uh, you don't have any, you know, uh, you don't have a lot of minutes for, for uh, rim protection for bigs and, and things like that. Um, and, and you did play some with some with some post play. But like I said, a lot of the times it was it was four guards uh, and sometimes even five, which is a lot of the ways that, you know, we as high school coaches have to operate. Uh, what what are some things that you guys do to to compensate for that, especially, and this is kind of three areas that uh, popped up to me, rebounding, protecting the lane, and just putting together a scheme that's successful at both ends. Um, what are some things that you guys go through? Yeah, I'll start, I'll start with the rebounding, uh, defensive rebounding, and we've compensated that with the fact that teams are so afraid of our transition game that they don't offensive rebound like a normal team would. Uh, oftentimes they're sending four back on their on the raise of the shot, uh, and maybe it's only sending one guy to the offensive glass. Um, we we definitely it's definitely a, a a weakness so to speak that mm-hmm. we aren't you know because of the size and physicality uh, we are not a a great defensive rebounding team, but the fact that we're going to run on makes or misses has really taken teams uh, off of the offensive glass. So that that's how we've counteracted the, the rebounding. Uh, the lack of, of rim protection, um, yeah, we'd love to have a, a guy who, who can protect the rim, like um, maybe like my team Crample did for us a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, what we've been able to do is – um, force other teams to adjust offensively because of the way that we play. Uh, you know, I, I go back to when we played at Seton Hall and we went small. I think we were playing Denzel Mahoney at the five. Yeah. And because of that, they made an adjustment so that they could guard us better. And, and they probably did guard us a little bit better, but they weren't able to run any of their sets. I say any other sets, but they got out of sync offensively because they weren't used to playing uh, with those five guys offensively on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, the game has changed. Uh, I mean, you know, even the NBA, there are very, very few players that play with their back to the basket anymore. It's very rare that, you know, you throw it into a low post player and he makes a, a post move. Um, and, and our success has come from the fact that, that we do play guards and those guards can shoot. And yeah. because they can shoot, we have unbelievable spacing uh, and it allows our uh, ball screen rim roller uh, to have free access to the rim oftentimes. So teams have to make a choice. Of, are they going to take away the roll or are they going to take away the, the stay home and, and uh, take away the three-point shot? That, that's really where our success has lied. And, and your guards, not only do they shoot it well, but I think what's what's uh, underrated is their decision-making and making those reads. You know, they're, they're really, really smart guys that it's, it's not flashy. It's not, you know, uh, 
Jason Kidd or Magic Johnson or any of that type of stuff, but it's just we're going to make the simple read every time and we're going to make you pay when you make the wrong read defensively because we're going to make the right read more often than not. Yeah, I think that, that, that you described it beautifully, and I think that's it. When it when it, we are flowing and, and making the right read, and, and obviously you have to make shots uh, within our offense. You know, if we have a bad shooting night, as we did at St. John's, I think we went two for 24 from three, and, you know, those were good looks, we're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. But those, those nights are far and few between because we have so many guys uh, that can make shots, and, and uh, you know that that's the success that we have. It's, it's just putting guys out there, and, and when it's flowing, when it's you know the ball's going in, and we're making threes, and we're you know having flip ups to the rim. It's it's really good basketball and, and fun basketball to coach. Uh, you know it's fun to watch, uh, and, and it's enjoyable. It, it's just you know that's the way the game is being played right now. And, uh, you mentioned it. Our guys are very, very unselfish. Uh, you know, nine times out of ten, they're going to make the right play, and, and that's part of the reason that we've had success. I, I, I would like for you to come and tell my educational evaluator how beautifully I explain the Battle of Gettysburg next year as well, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure that I would know much about the Battle of Gettysburg, <laughs> but I could certainly try. Well, uh, Sid told me, uh, you, you could have Coach Mack come in because I believe uh, Sid told me he was a history major as well. So maybe maybe he could be the one that could do that for us. So no, that's probably true. That, and that's that's the thing. Like you know, if you look at uh, the coaching profession at the college level and the various degrees, uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, from you know Jim Molinari had a law degree to uh, economics degrees to education degrees to uh, business degrees. There's no set you know, degree that you have to have to be a college coach, other than the fact that you probably uh, should have several coaches in psychology, several classes in psychology and, and uh, guidance, because that's what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, analytically, what do you guys, uh, what are some big uh, analytical uh, data that you guys look at when you're shaping a game plan or you're you're at halftime? And obviously you guys have instant access to to a heck of a lot more than we do as high school coaches but what what are some some universal uh analytics that you guys look at that you tend to zero in on to to gauge your success yeah i think you know that a simple stat sheet uh can tell you a lot i mean we we will take our chances you know uh, we're considered an offensive team we'll take our chances at times of of not guarding someone, so to speak, and, and letting teams spread us out. Uh, so we'll we'll pick individuals, um, you know, from the other team that we're saying, you know, you go ahead and have a twenty point night. Um, if you if you score twenty, we feel like we're still going to win. Um, and that that has has proven um, to be a pretty good uh, barometer for us. Uh, we've had a lot of success uh, playing off of someone having someone in the middle of the lane uh, helping. Um, you know, from, the, from an offensive standpoint, we'll, we'll look at percentages. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, uh, you know, how much, uh, you know, what is their transition? I mean, that, that is a big part of what we do. Um, and there are very few teams uh, that have been able to slow us down. You know, teams mm-hmm. will, so will try different tactics. I mean, they'll, they'll go as far as, you know, 
getting out of their offensive scheme and, and walk the ball up the court just to try to control the pace of the game, especially when they come to Omaha. Yeah. Uh, not so much when we're on the road, uh, but when teams come to, to CHI and play us, uh, we expect most of them to try to control tempo uh, through ways that they're not used to. And, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Do you, do you feel like when you see that, obviously, let's say you're playing Xavier, and that game pops into my head because that was the game where Steele and Mac were, were mic'd up, and the whole game he was like, slow down, slow down, slow down, you, you heard him say. But when you guys see that big a shift uh, from your opponents, from what they've seen on the 10, 15, 20 game films that you guys have watched collectively as a staff, are you guys over there kind of feeling like, okay, we got them where we want them because – they're so worried about us that they're not even worried about them uh, themselves, and therefore, this game, you know, we feel like we feel really good about the way this is going. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's interesting you, you bring that up because it was either that game or it was maybe the last game of the year, the Seton Hall game, where we didn't get off to great starts because they were controlling the tempo, and we were still playing at a very fast pace and, and maybe taking some shots that. Uh, weren't great shots uh-huh. and you know for the most part we, we don't take too many bad shots but because the pace was so slow and guys weren't getting the opportunities that they were used to um, we didn't we didn't start I can't remember which game it was it's one of those two I believe but we just didn't start the game that the way that we normally do because the pace affected us so yeah it works both ways uh, but ultimately uh, we're not going to adjust we are who we are um, and we're gonna we're gonna run on makes or misses, and we're gonna put pressure on you, uh, you know, for forty minutes or, or forty plus if we have to. Mm-hmm. Um, two two more things here, real quick. I know you got uh, I know you got to mow the lawn here before vacation hits and stuff. Um, what uh, give us give us one or two? And I know the medium isn't the best. Uh, but describe to us one or two good sideline out-of-bounds plays. Wow. Um, Am I putting you on the spot? No, not necessarily. I think, you know, one of the things that that uh, I think are really important, especially in, in out-of-bounds under and, and sideline, and instead of maybe giving an X and O, um, you know, because any, anybody can come up with a good X and O sideline or out-of-bounds play or whatever. But one of the things that, that I think can be beneficial with those is, you know, we often design the shot, but are you thinking about an offensive rebound plan? You know, if that shot misses, where is it likely going to miss to? And under those controlled situations, whether it be a sideline or an out-of-bounds under, it's pretty simple to, to know where the shot is supposed to come from. It doesn't always come from, mm-hmm. you know, the play that you run. But to design an offensive rebounding uh, platform or, or uh, scheme, you know, out of that, and, and I think you can steal a, a, a basket or two that way during the course of the game. Mm-hmm. So have an angle for somebody to, to hit the glass because you're yes, pro- you're going to you're, you're or a couple, you know, a couple different people. Maybe maybe you set a back screen, you know, at the same time the shot's going up to free somebody to have free run. Uh, to the glass, um, you know, just just little things, you know, or maybe you flood a situation and put two people in that rebound position. Um, just just 
you know, trying to steal a basket here or there, which, you know, at our level could be the difference between winning and losing a game. Mm-hmm. Um, what, are, what are some of your favorite, uh, I shouldn't say favorite, but uh, what are some of, uh, what's one or two of your most effective shooting drills that you use with your guys that you really think uh, helps them become really good shooters when left wide. And I know you guys recruit shooters and you're able to get a guy like a Marcus Foster, who you said, uh, uh, you know, when, when you said a, a bad, a bad shot maker, that's the first name that popped into my mind. Uh, but uh, what, uh, you know, what are some things that you guys do uh, one or two shooting drills that has helped your guys develop consistency with their shooting? I think a couple of things. Uh, first thing is, uh, you know, all the shooting drills are good, but when are you doing them? You know, are you, are you doing them at the end of practice or are you? Are there times, you know, during the course of your practice when you break down and say, all right, let's get some shots up and, and put them in situations, uh, you know, to, to get shots up right in the middle of practice or, uh, you know, two-thirds of the way through practice. The other thing is, Especially, we don't do it a lot during the season, but especially during the preseason, uh, we have probably 10 or 12 competitive shooting drills uh, that are based on the time. Uh, you know, different, different, we put time up on the clock and, you know, you just do different things from different spots. Um, and, and they become competitive and, and they want to beat their former, whether it be their teammate or their own time, each time that we, you know, present that shooting drill to them and they don't have to be long i mean we do two minutes at a time we'll do a minute and a half and and just rapid fire you know how many shots can you make from five spots uh you know rotating every 10 or 15 seconds uh uh you know just things like that 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 uh and like i said we have 10 or 12 and you know if anybody is interested in, in getting those i'd be more than happy to to send them to you we do have it on paper you can just email me and i'd be happy to to uh, get those two. Yeah. While we're talking about that, what, uh, if you, did, can they just look that up on the Creighton website there? Or? Yeah, basically it's just Steve Murfeld at Creighton.edu. Gotcha. So pretty simple, or you could go to the site mm-hmm. and uh, just click email as well. But yep. yeah, anybody that would like those, I'd be happy to share those. And it has actually on there, um, I think the sheet we've updated at work, it'll have the record, the Creighton record. You know, it'll say Mitch Ballant 44 or uh, Kyrie Thomas, thirty-seven, whatever the Creighton, and obviously yeah. you know you have to adjust that to your level and, and you know move forward. Yeah, um, yeah. If I if I had somebody as good as Mitch Ballack or Kyrie Thomas at Fort Calhoun, I'd be pretty happy with that coach. So. <laughs> yeah, we've we've had some pretty elite shooters, um, you know, over the t- times. You know, in, in my experience, starting out with obviously Doug and Ethan Rodney, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from a from a just stand and shoot and make shots, Mitch Ballack is by far the best you know shooter that I've ever been around um, from a stationary drill standpoint. And, and obviously, he works his tail off, and that is carried over to his success in games as well. Yeah, um, with those with those shooting records or those 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 uh, numbers that you guys keep, uh, do you post those up like? In the in the workout facility yes. and that yes, type of thing, they are, they are on the grease board in the locker room, and uh, you know we, we have a sheet up there that lists the different drills and, and what they are. But it's on the grease board, and yeah, they're looking at it, and they're they're trying to not only beat their record but their teammates' record for sure. Awesome, awesome, great idea. 
Last thing, um, and we talked about this a week and a half ago, whenever it was. Uh, how excited are you to coach your son? Very. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's going to be you know a great great opportunity. Obviously, you know he's grown up around Creighton basketball. I think he moved here when he was in third grade, uh, so that's what he remembers. And um, yeah, it's it's exciting. It's really exciting uh, for him. Uh, you know, we had Marcus and Mitch and Jacob out to uh, dinner about a month or two ago and just to see him interact with those guys and, and you know one of the things that, that I'm really happy about is uh, you know he's looked up to these guys uh, you know growing up and now he's going to be a part of them and they are such good guys you mm-hmm. know whether they're, they're good basketball players for sure uh, but we've got a core of really really good young men that, that I'm happy that he's going to be a part of and, and sees them as mentors to him as well. Yeah. Whose side does your wife take the first time you get on him at practice? <laughs> uh, she's a mother, so she. <laughs> That's already been determined not only through, through uh, the fact that basketball, but just around the house when I get him on him about cleaning his room or something like that. Mom's always there to protect him. <laughs> gotcha. Well, we I, I I would never hold that over Andrew's head in any way, shape, or form, but that may come up the next time I talk to him. So, exactly. All right. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for your time here today. Um, I, you know, you guys have been terrific to me and to, to our programs and, and, and stuff like that. And uh, I know it was a disappointing way to end a, a unbelievable season that you guys had last year, but... There were, obviously it was unplanned and nobody could do anything about it and uh, I'm really confident that in whatever form of, of season that we have this next year you guys are going to, uh, if anybody's equipped to just pick up and get it going again it's going to be a, a program like your guys' Yeah we hope so I mean obviously there's, you know, every season's different and you know because of the success that we had last year uh, you know these kids are human and, and they'll eventually you know it's our job to mold them into uh the team that we had been finished last year and that's the challenge that we face is is everybody when you have success everybody wants a bigger piece of the pie and and getting them to understand that that the piece of that pie and the reason that we were successful is because everyone bought in and everybody knew what their role was and carried it out to the best of their ability so appreciate you having me on and uh certainly anytime i can help uh, more than happy to to contribute well thanks a lot steve i appreciate it. if you could hold the line just a second we'll wrap everything down uh again steve murfeld uh assistant men's basketball coach at creighton university uh, we want to thank cosac chiropractic for sponsoring the podcast uh, again if you're in need of chiropractic services don't hesitate to call dr kevin or dr heidi at 402-964-0300 follow us on twitter a pen and a napkin Download, rate, or review and review the pod and forward it out to anybody who is like-minded or has a growth mindset. And, of course, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coaches, as always, let's pray for peace, let's stay safe, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.